Good afternoon and welcome to Recovery Central. I have here with me today the SIAS recovery team, or as I'm told, Nikki prefers to refer to as the A-team. So, do you want to say who you are and what you do? I'm Stacey Smith, I'm the volunteering and peer mentor coordinator here at SIAS and Changes. I'm Gemma Allen and I'm recovery coordinator over at SIAS. I'm Chris Foley and I'm a recovery coach. My name's Nicky Dwyer and I'm a gaffer. <laughs> right, so we've got a clear hierarchy set up there, <laughs> haven't we? Anything that really needs to be answered has to be directed at you, though. Gemma. No. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> Delegation already right like that. Really, the, the thrust of this today is so that we can highlight just what you do and how you do it. So, just as a, a leading question, I mean, what what kind of state are people in when they come to you? It varies really, Rich. It's, we can have people who have managed to get sober or clean by themselves but are looking to sustain, or we have people coming that are still using, drinking, referrals from police and social services, looking to get on scripts, uh, looking to reduce or be detoxing the community. So yeah, it's a really broad range of who we interact with on a daily basis. So that would necessarily call for a diverse team approach? Yes, absolutely. In individual cases? Yeah. yeah, so very much we work with people on a case by case and ultimately aim for abstinence, but we know that not everybody's journey is abstinence, so we work with some people throughout the lockdown who are controlled drinking now. And he's working for that particular person, but as we know, that's not always the case. Well, it is all relative, though, isn't it? Because some people you're only going to get so far. Yeah. And there's only so much we can actually do. He's still using the, the support that's available, you know, and he's happy with what he's doing. So we definitely look at everybody's journey differently and tailor stuff to them, don't we? Yeah, I, th I think we offer a client-led service where the client will always take the lead in their own recovery. And what makes it a little bit different to obviously we supported ours and in places like that we are a community uh, drug treatment team so we're first port of call before people get down the road of eventual whatever they deem their recovery to be. Shias as a whole is a treatment service, children's service, a ours and first and only service and for us we, we provide the recovery services. So we tend to get people when they're a little bit further along than they've come through the front door and they've been in entry point for a little bit of time. We get them when they're ready to start accessing recovery services. So even if they're still using or drinking, they're a bit more ready. You know, yeah. You're not just getting people randomly. Oh, sometimes we do, don't we? Yeah, so we do. We, we do get people straight from assessment. But again, it's all, it's all dependent on what that person will say at assessment and if they maybe have had been, been involved in treatment services or, or have had some form of recovery before, then they might be a little bit more savvy about what's out there and available for them. So they might be a bit more open-minded about coming into the groups and engaging with us first off really. Other people maybe take a little bit more work to get group ready. We've been trying a different approach recently, haven't we? Yeah. So we've been asking for referrals no matter really where people are at and then putting the work in to try and sort of get up a rapport with them, getting them to trust us and, and just come and give a group a go because you know half the battle is getting people there. 
So a lot of it is actually about getting them engaged yeah. per se, isn't it? Yeah, yeah and we have had to evolve as a service in order to do that. Right. So we're, 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 I wouldn't say one-dimensional or two-dimensional, we've had to become really all-encompassing. We've had to change the way we deliver our service in order to cater the type of service users we're getting through the door at the moment. And we're, we're quite fortunate that we, we all have our own lived experience you know, we know what, what we needed when we first walked through the door. Well, yeah, I mean, it's vital that, isn't it? Because you can actually see someone who comes in drunk, yeah. but they will actually say, I'm desperate. And they, you can actually say that drunk. You don't have to be completely clean to be saying it. No. Right. Normally here I would splice in one of, our, one of our written dialogues, which is all about the way people think when they've just been taken off the booze or the drugs. So, what? I'm not sure what to say here. Then don't. What? I don't know what to say either. Well, at least you came back in. Yeah, there wasn't much else I could do, were there? And they let you back in too. I just had to tell them I was sorry and desperate. Which you were? I don't really know what happened. Maybe it's not meant to be explained. It was six weeks ago. Six weeks ago? Well... But you've been away for four, haven't you? Yes. And I thought you only drank up that night. Oh, the night before? Yeah, the night before you came in and tried to do our morning reading room, but you fell off the chair because you were so pissed. I did start before that. I see. But don't tell him. No, I... I told him about the night before. Well, I suppose it takes time to tell the truth, doesn't it? Maybe. Especially about relapse. Relapse? Yeah. Oh, that weren't a relapse. No. Not really. What was it then? Oh, it was just a mistake. Just a mistake? Yes. But you came into the group, and you were so shit-faced at 8.30 in the morning. I'd had a bad week. And? It, well, what happened with... You know. Oh, yeah, Sharon and the kids. It was just a moment of madness. A moment? Yes. But you said that six weeks ago. Yes. Which means that you were drinking in the dry house? Yes. For two weeks? Yes. So it wasn't a moment, was it? Well, I'd say it were, because it was an isolated reason, and they didn't listen to me when I told them I had to go up to Leeds and deal with the situation. But? Might not have happened if they let me go. No. Maybe not. But you're not allowed anywhere near her. All the kids are you at the moment. That's what needs sorting out, though. So I need to get this little mistake over with and get back to the dry house. I'm sorry, but I really don't think this is a little mistake. Please don't tell him about the two weeks. Well, you need to do that yourself, don't you? But if you don't, then I'll have to. Why? Secrets keep us sick. It won't help anyone telling him that. What's more, they'll make me stay here in eight weeks if they find out I spent two weeks on the pop in the dry house, won't they? Well, yeah. It's not as if I need that, is it? No. I know what I've got to do and I know how to do it. You can say that. But isn't this the fourth time you've relapsed and had to come back in in the last five years? Technically, yes. Technically? Well, they weren't really relapses, were they? I don't see what you mean. Relapse is when you start drinking or using and you disappear for several weeks. Is it? I thought it just meant you picked up after being clean and sober. A lot of people make that mistake. Mistake? I just got caught on a bad day and slipped a couple of times. Well, four. Okay, four. However, none of them were serious. What about the first time? First time? When you were on that night shift and one of them was taken ill, but you were so drunk they couldn't wake you up. Oh, that was just a misunderstanding. Was it? Oh, yes. I'm not so sure. Well, you weren't there. I still don't see how you think you can just do a couple of weeks in here, then go back out to where you were before. I know what I'm doing. I don't think so. What do you mean by that? If you knew what you were doing, you wouldn't keep drinking, would you? 
Look, I've been in recovery five years No, now. you haven't. What? If you keep relapsing, you're not in recovery, are you? I am. You can still stay in recovery, even if you relapse. How come you're the only person saying that, then? What? None of the key workers say that, do they? Ah, but this is treatment, not the real world. What are you talking about? Round the rooms. People relapse and come back all the time. In rehab, they're just talking about this ideal world where everyone stays clean and sober. So you're saying everyone that works here is No, wrong. they just need to lighten up a bit, that's all. If you don't tell them, I will. About what? For two weeks? You wouldn't. I would. Don't. Hostage taking isn't pretty. Hostage taking? And that's what you're doing. Me? Yes. You're so full of shit. You'll be wrong, you mark me words. I'm not listening to you anymore. All of this crap. If you want to stay around and stay alive, you have to live and learn. Especially from those like me who've been around longer. They should never have let you back in. You don't mean that. I give up. You can't tell them. I can, and I will. So you're dealing with people all the way through from potentially someone who's still off the tit to someone who's really ready to, to move on, move on. Yeah. What happens to people once they've been through with you? What do you let them go to? We would work with them from day one, really, through to come through the door and they refer to us to get them to being a peer mentor, where we would then hand them over to Stacey. Right. So that would be their next stage. So we would we get referrals from, from key workers, but when they've come through our, our Road to Recovery programme or any other of our group programmes, they could then apply to be a peer. So, again, we get people at different stages. Some people are ready to support the group. Some people maybe just want to come in and provide a bit of tea and comfort for, for other service users. So we're really lucky that we get good people who have been through their own lived experience and that they want to give back and that we can then utilise their skills and experience to, to help the newcomers that are coming through the door. So we put them through training, we offer them access to other training programmes in-house and also externally. We've got good links with training providers yeah. um, in the local area as well. It's really working with what they want to do. So sometimes they want to get into support work, sometimes they might want to do some gardening. They might even want to come and help me. Yeah, they might want to come and help you with the podcast. We've got things that encourage outdoor activities as well, which I think is especially important at the moment because of how people have been isolated during the pandemic. So we've got the, the cycling club, we've got the gardening project that we're starting, and Gemma's got a new walking group as well. So now things are starting to open up and the restrictions are lifting. We can really look at being more diverse in what we're offering to yes. people and what people can support others to do as well. So. Yeah, and because it's this mutual process all the way along, it's how long is a piece of string for how long you deal with someone. Yeah, we certainly have someone who's been with us for five, six years. Really? And there's no signs of them wanting to do anything different at the moment. They, stay, they remain in service, they stay on a big for however long they feel they need to be. And I think that's important that people know that, isn't yeah. it? And also for, for, for the aspirations of, of the, the service users that are coming, are coming through is that they can see other people that are getting the voluntary roles, getting the jobs. They can see a progression and it's clear within all of changes really that that's what's happening, that not only is recovery possible but opportunities are possible, you know, things that they wouldn't have thought they'd be able to do or have the skills or the confidence to do, that they can do it. They've seen it in real life, it's not just tick box exercise, it's in everything we do day to day. We see those experiences and people upskilling all the time and 
being able to go for courses that they wouldn't have thought they could do or getting involved in things that they just wouldn't have dreamed of while yeah. they were still using. Yeah, because you've got to get through the door to do that kind of stuff, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, that's it. So it's really hand-holding ho- hand and nurturing them so that they can feel able to do that and to make those changes so it's not just about their abstinence and yeah. stopping using or drinking. It's about the whole emotional and, and mental well-being and what life they want for themselves yeah. on a wider scale. And like you said about service evolving, I suppose we have to adapt to the way the world is out there. And especially in the current times. And also with the removal of funding in many places, as yeah. I'm seeing nationally, for anything to do with addiction, which means that where addiction services are concerned, it's more and more reliant on the third sector. Yeah. The next thing, one of the people I've had working with me, he took it upon himself to write a a story based on his direct experience. And it's now evolved into four different perspectives on this person's story. So we've got him, his flatmate, his girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend and his mom. Hi friend. I've decided to write in to update you on the current situation with Jamie. Well, (laughs) where do I start? First of all, he's been kicked out of his flat by the landlord as John couldn't afford the rent any longer as Jamie stopped paying. And now John's struggling on his own. Jamie's moved into mine temporarily until the rehab centre called to say they have a space and his mum is going out of her mind. About two weeks ago, John had arranged crisis meeting with Jamie to sort out living arrangements for Jamie as John wanted him out because of his lack of rent and also the wild parties were causing John to get very stressed out. On the agreed night, Jamie turned up flat out smashed and brought a whole bunch of people round to the flat for a leaving do. As you can imagine, John was going out of his mind, so he called me to explain what was going on and see if I could help. I agreed to help and went round, and let me tell you, I've never been so upset in all my life. There he was, Jamie that is, standing there in the living room completely naked, doing all sorts of stupid things while his mates were jeering him on. Now his mates didn't look as bad as Jamie, and they seemed almost like they were taking the mickey out of him. I told them all to get out, and after a few choice words from myself and John, they agreed to leave, leaving just myself, John, and the naked Jamie. We tried to speak with Jamie, and he completely abused us, saying we were a bunch of boring farts with nothing better to do than just try to ruin his life. After what seemed like about an hour, he just stormed out of the door with hardly any clothes on, and off to the shops, apparently. Anyway, he never came back, and I was going out of my mind with worry. I'd followed him up to the corner of the road and he jumped in someone's car. He must have known them, although I didn't recognise them. Two days later, his mum's calling me and saying she needed my help. Jamie had been hospitalised with a suspected overdose. Myself and his mum went to the hospital and we were horrified at what we saw. Jamie was yellow, all connected to tubes, non-responsive, and he literally looked seconds from death. He was released about a week and I agreed to have him at mine until he was able to get some accommodation off of the council. Whilst at mine, we actually both agreed that he could really do with some professional help and he was happy to give it a go. We spoke with a charity and they've agreed that he could go through a treatment centre. To my surprise, Jamie hasn't touched a drink since being discharged from the hospital and he hasn't even spoke of one. He seems committed to getting himself better and said he's looking forward to getting back on track. I really hope he can get back on track and I've promised him I'll support him along the way. 
I'm speaking with John to give him updates because despite what's happened, they're still good friends. And Jamie's mum's calmed down a little as I'm keeping her updated too. Thank you for taking the time to read this letter. And I'll keep you updated. Fingers crossed. This should be the start of a new life for Jamie. Yours, Sarah. P.S. I know it's early to say, but I hope he gets well. And maybe we could rekindle our relationship. Hey, one day at a time. What kind of contact or work do you do with any of the families or do you have any involvement there? As a whole, uh, yeah. through Aquarius, they are family workers. So family members also come into treatment. They can sign up and come into treatment. Right. And they do some kind of, I think it's a five-step programme that they do, which teaches them about enabling the yeah. addiction and stuff like that. They have some really good workers. They run weekly groups with them. Family members would normally also form their own support network with other family members. So a bit like mutual aid. Because the provision for families, friends, children of whatever, for people who are accessing rehab or similar yeah. services, the provision isn't that great. No. Aside from telling people you can go to Al-Anon, there isn't a huge amount of provision for that, is there? No, but we are quite fortunate that they do yeah. a really, really good family. And every now and again we'll get people say, well, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll get some of the ladies that I work with say, can you take my mum's number, you know, and if I'm not on group, can you ring my mum and say, you know, she needs to kick up the bum and stuff like that. And I work a lot with social services yeah, and, and the ladies' social workers and write reports for them and see how they're engaging in groups with liaise with the key workers with regards to all of that sort of stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> Are we all going to say the same thing? Oh. No, I think it's that we really try to engage with the service users and are hopeful every time that they come on group or that a phone call is made is that this is going to be the time for them and their chance to, yeah. to get recovery. Because we don't forget what it was like for us. And I think to try and be supportive and empathetic every day, no matter mm. what. I think as well one of the most important things is the connection and engagement with each other when we come in yes. and to start that a bit of banter. Yeah. Jim and always boss. So you say she can answer everything, which is delegation. Yeah. The first thing every morning you tell her yeah. who's boss. Yeah. Right. Okay, okay, I understand the picture. Don't talk now. to me before nine o'clock. That's what he says. <laughs> Chris? Engaging with clients, and it like Gemma just said, when I do get to engage people, and if I can get them to come into group, it's always a good day for me. Yeah. Stace? Yeah, I think we're all from the same hymn sheet, really. It's the connection, isn't it? Making sure that we're connecting with the people we're working with yeah. and seeing where they're at, and if they require finding out why, and, and if they're involved in enough making yeah. sure there's a balance with what they're, they're getting involved in as well, especially in terms of peers, not doing too much, and we have to see who needs us the most. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> you know, fair enough. And yeah. prioritise it. Prioritise yeah. it. Um, yeah, and yeah, you have to do just, that day to day, aren't you? Yeah, just doing a recce on how everyone is, and if someone's not doing so good, you know yeah. what we can help them with. 
I set up this ongoing thing about cats. What would our cats say about us? Okay. If they all sat down in a, in a group and talked about alcoholics and addicts that they live with. <laughs> and and it's, it's, it's a case in point, isn't it? We talk about families, but what about pets? Because they do say, get a plant, get a pet, before you get in a relationship. Sierra Lima, Echo Echo Panda? Technic, angry, jumpsuit, umpty nana. I don't understand. What? Well, why are you... Oh, the code. I understand that I always use anything but the correct words. Well, yeah, you did that. However, that's not quite what I meant. Isn't it? Why are you dressed? Dressed? Yeah. Oh, you mean the Mufti? The Mufti? Yes, I am travelling incognito. Incognito? Yes. But why are you dressed at all? I don't get you. Well, cats don't wear clothes, Reg. Well, not usually, no. I'm sorry, Reg, but you really do look so ridiculous. Yes, uh, it's quite deliberate, really. Well, thank God. Really? Well, yeah, because you must have had a plan to dress so ridiculously. Otherwise, I'd have thought you'd lost the plot. Me lose the plot? Never. I don't understand, though. Why? Why what? If you're travelling undercover, why are you wearing clothes at all? I mean, a cat wearing clothes? You might as well be wearing a pie on your head and one of them neon signs flashing, I'm a cat undercover. Oh, I see. You have, in fact, fallen for my double bluff. Double bluff? I've gone out my way to be memorable everywhere I go and everything I do, which will totally divert the attention of anyone what might possibly suspect that it is, in fact, me underneath these preposterous clothes. I don't quite get where you're coming from, Reg. Well, that's often the problem, isn't it? What? When philosophers take action, their logic is often difficult to follow. Is it now? Yes. I thought they just sat around thinking all the time. Now that, that is a myth. Socrates himself was known to play the old game of coits in the Agora after lunch. Coits? Has they even been invented in the 8th century BC? Oh yes, and Plato was a keen supporter of his local Morris dancing troupe. Really? No, not really. It's just I had to come up with a way of being so bloody obvious that nobody would realise. Cause anyone what knows me would just think, nah, not Reg. He'd never even wear clothes, let alone that get up. And has the plan worked so far? Well, I've not yet been recognised. Well, thank God for that. Most places they seem to think I'm the feline mayor of London, so I've kind of built on the fiction, as it were. So you've created an entire story based around a bloke who actually exists, who you don't know? Well, yeah, that's about it. <sighs> well, I'll say something, Reg. I always thought you were a few sandwiches short of a picnic, but this really takes the cake. Well, I had to go the extra mile, didn't I? Why, though? Because I'm looking for Lula. What? And only two of you escaped, I hear. Well, yeah. I spoke that Ellie, that posh short, what talks funny. <laughs> oh, yeah, she helped me escape. She didn't tell me that. Oh, she's all right once you get to know her, you know. She actually tried to distract the men in the van so that some of us could get away. In the end, though, only me and Johnny the dog made it. Where's Johnny? Oh, we travelled out of the city. He made it to the farm. You know the one where his cousin works? And he's helped me to hide out here. Animal solidarity. Yes, there should be more of it. Oh, please don't start another movement, Reg. Not yet. All right, not yet. So I suppose I should tell you what I know, then? Yes. Well, here goes. Mind if I take this clobber off first? It's a bit warm and it restricts my movement and vision. 
Well, I can see that. Nice face for all the whiskers, see, in the mask. I'm really not sure why you picked the screen one, Reg, but still. Seems like a sensible choice at the time. Oh, I'm sure it did. Right, how on earth do these humans wear shoes all the time? They really are ridiculous things. Well, where did you get all this stuff from anywhere, Reg? Brutus, of course. The Brutus? Yes. Tony the Wizard's cat? Yeah. And you trust him? Oh, yeah, known him for years. Also, if he didn't have my back, he knows I've got enough dirt on him and that Tony to cause more trouble than they've ever known. Well, that's saying something. I'll do my own work. Oh, well, I'm sure you do. I'll just pop these over here, then. Do you know, I had no idea that Tony the Wizard and Brutus that would be into such a thing. Niche theatrical outfits. Nah, I didn't realise either. It was only when I saw Brutus down the dogs that he mentioned it. You go to the dog track? Oh, yeah. For betting? Nah, it's my owner. Bet said he'd win more if I did the bets for him. He's only any good at picking donkeys. I'll go that network. Network? Vital. I'm sure it is. Reg? Yeah? Is there anyone you don't know? Oh, yeah, there must be. I'm only party to a few circles. For a cat, though, you do seem to know everyone. Never thought of it like that. So now you're finished with your mufti? For now, yeah. I'll tell you what I know then. Please, it will fill in the blanks. So, me cousin Serena, right, she has a canine friend and he works on a big farm just outside Nottingham. Right. And Serena, well, she's stuck to her feral roots. So she hangs out in some woodlands over near Radcliffe on Trent. And feral cats see everything. Oh, yes, they do everything around them. And nobody knows the difference? No. Well, Serena's pretty sure, right, the unloading of the vans described to her by her pal Bingo last week included the very van in which Lula and the others were taken. Hang on, you said vans? Yeah. There were more? Oh yeah. Bingo said it's like some sort of camp. Not like Butlin's though. Serena reckons that the animals are being taken and then sold off in other cities as rescue animals. She does also think they're being used for medical experiments. That's though. quite a leap, that is. <laughs> I know, I think the second part's probably her being a mad cow. <laughs> it does seem really strange, though, so many animals being robbed all over the country and then taken to Radcliffe-on-Trent, of all places. Indeed, it does. You know, the last time I saw Lula was on the day she was taken away. So I described her exactly to Serena, and Bingo is certain that he's seen her. And what's more... He's seen the iguana too. Ivan? Yeah. Well, I'm sure that's what he said. Did did all the vans have a logo on them? Yeah, they did actually. I'm sure that's what he said. Well, something that Ellie said. Serena mentioned it. And Bingo says it's a company logo. Right, next time you see her or him, tell him to look out for a tall, angry bloke what wears a loud pinstripe suit and garish trainers. <laughs> really? Yeah, I know. Shocking, isn't it? I'm really quite unsettled by the idea. He usually travels with a shifty lawyer carrying a document case. They use separate cars. And who's that, then? He's the estranged son of Lula's recently deceased owner. Well, sounds like a right to do. Oh, no. So, what's your plan, then? Any chance of meeting Serena? Well, she's going to be sneaking into the compound this weekend and making a plan for rescuing them. So she'll be here. So you could come back in... I'll be here next Tuesday. I've a couple of other things to do first. Um, don't you need your, uh, mufti get-up? Yeah, better take it. <laughs> I wouldn't want to think if you'd been recognised, Reg. No, neither would I.
What's the most important or unexpected thing that you gained yourself in either working with people in recovery or in your own recovery? For me, over the last 12 months especially, I've really found that I really enjoy working with the women. When I was drinking, like women, I didn't want to go anywhere near them. And I think that stayed with me for a while. And over the last 12 months, it's been in other lockdown, via Zoom and stuff like that, really working with the women, putting together the women's programme, having more involvement with the social services side of things and seeing things from that point of view. It's been really eye-opening and important, actually, for me, and has developed really strangely. I wasn't expecting it, so uh, over, over the last 12 months, it's been really good for me personally as well because I never really had a lot of women around me. Is that evolving? Like, you were talking about the service evolving, but is that evolving in the course of because you work here, that's how it come about? Yeah. I've only ever had, like, a small sort of circle of friends. I mean, and when I was drinking, most of them were male. So it's really made me have a look within as to who I have around me in my personal life as well, whether I'm softening in my old age or what, I don't know. I often hear this when I, when I talk to people, is that things do evolve over time, mm. particularly as we are in recovery, because mm. we don't necessarily know what's coming next. Mm. And often things happen, things have certainly happened to me that I did not expect. Yeah. I could not have predicted. But that happened when I stopped trying to predict yeah. them. Yeah. Well, this is something I never expected at all. Sort of, I remember we had first supervision coming back after lockdown, and I, and I <laughs> mentioned it to Nick. It's just not the way that I ever expected to feel or to see things moving forward for me, and it's been really good, actually. I would say, judging by what you've said already, that does it not help being part of a service that is constantly adapting and evolving in order to evolve your own practice, and therefore it has bonuses for you? Mm. And for me, I think, when I go back to the way I was 20 years ago, my attitude to work absolutely stank. Mm. It was my way or the highway. That's something I really have to look at as soon as I sobered up. Apart from saying I'm not going to work <laughs> and following the very the very route that Stacey's talking about, bit by bit by bit by bit, but also that I now go into a work situation with a completely different head from the one I had. I never envisaged myself doing this, not in a million years. I, don't, I still don't know quite <laughs> how. It, it wasn't one of those things I agreed to without realising it, but no, it wasn't. If someone could play you in a film of your life, who would it be? Oh, God. <laughs> you, you've got Hollywood at your feet, Ridley Scott's <laughs> directing, you, you've got Warner Brothers and Sony funding it, you can have whatever you want, who would you have playing you? Stephen Graham. That's a sound yeah. choice on any yeah. level. I we went to school together. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. in the same classroom, Stephen Graham. Touchy, I was his next name. That's so cool. I think it would probably be have to be Winona Ryder. Oh, well, that gets my vote anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go for Sheridan Smith because, you know, ah. she's the whole package, isn't she? She can act and she can sing and I can't act. And, and, both, I, and both I've got a beautiful dots. voice just like her, so I think it would <laughs> work no quite well. She, she was in Two Parts of Library and a Packet of Crisps. If she's um, not in Peppa Pig. Um, <laughs> no, no, she's not. Not she's on not, not, not involved with Peppa Pig. No and Gavin and Stacey, she was in as a 
Smithy's oh, little sister. The, the, the fat kids. Smith's yeah. little sister, yeah. I don't care. It's another, it's another, I don't care. It's another thing Nicky's really hot on about you know, how we talk about people. You know, he really, he's yeah, but celebrities surely it doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> he's not really. <laughs> <laughs> right, and last. Oh, sorry. Tom Harder. Oh, it's another great yeah. choice. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, we've got quite a film going on. Get the four of them in here. Right, the last question. What's the most creative or unlikely excuse you've ever given yourself or heard from anyone else for not putting drink and drugs down or for picking them up? It's Sunday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do it tomorrow on Monday. Can't stop on a Sunday. No, it's no. Saturday. It's got to be Monday. I can't even think of one. I don't think I made any excuses. Oh, you got beyond making excuses. That's a fair call. <laughs> if you actually get beyond them, into, I think the most creative excuse I've ever heard was when I was teaching. This kid came in half an hour late and said, Sorry, sir, I had to go all the way around the school and come up through the bushes because I was being chased by terrorists. <laughs> And I thought it was that creative. I thought, no, no, I'm going to let you off. It's probably actually true, Rick. <laughs> when, when something's that implausible, yeah. it's got to be, hasn't it? Right, we will love you and leave you. And thank you very much for this today. I value every interview I do. I'm edit it as well as I can. <laughs> Thanks, um, thank you. Thanks, Rick. Thank you. Thank you.